We've been told that we've been invited into a relationship with Jesus Christ. What does that look like? Luckily, we have in 3 Nephi 17 an account of a group of people that were pulled into a relationship with Christ. What are the parts that make up a good relationship, and how is it that that affects us, changes us, and ultimately leads us to affect him as well as he affecting us? That's a challenge, but relationships with deity are complicated. Let's start there. Thanks for coming. And welcome to another Monday Morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, Opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. Let's go ahead and get started uh, today. Um, I thought uh, for just a minute, I want to really, we've been working hard at trying to finish. We've been on 3rd Nephi 17 now, but this is our third week. We just can't get to the bottom of this thing. And today I'm determined we're going to finish 3rd Nephi 17. Uh, but I want to set it up so that we see it maybe a little different thing. So if, if you can, uh, you can handle just a little bit of, uh, uh, I don't know, psychology for just a second. Uh, and I was actually thinking about in conjunction with some of the life skills thing. Um, and that is that in, in terms of a uh, healthy relationships, uh, those like, this could be like healthy relationships 101 for just a second. Uh, if we're going to be in some kind of either personal relationship with somebody else or a relationship to an organization or a group, uh, there are some elements that need to be in place if the relationship is going to be fairly even, fairly equal, and it's not, it's not unequal in some way. Okay, So if that's going to be the case, if, if I'm going to be part of, and I'll pick uh, a, a uh, relationship for just a second, let's say I'm going to be in a healthy relationship with somebody, for it to be mutual, there are three overarching themes that have to be in place, and then each one of these have some minor things to them, but I'm just thinking kind of in the aggregate here. Uh, for it to be mutual, three things have to be in place. Uh, first of all, there has to be a dedication, that I am dedicated to another person, they're dedicated to me, or I'm dedicated to a group, and there, there is some commitment and dedication that has to be in place. Okay, so dedication and, and a sense of commitment. Now, along with that then, uh, the, the, the second part to that is that if we're going to be part of, an, of a relationship or an organization, we have to believe that it's going to produce in us 
some kind of change. We're going to be a little bit different. We're going to learn more. We're going to be better. Uh, we're growing. Uh, I mean, part of why we have this class is that it was like, okay, by having a discussion together, we, be, we walk away more fulfilled and more better. We understand the gospel. We've changed. We're a little bit happier. It brings joy when, we've, when we feel ourselves growing. Okay? Uh, now, by the same token, uh, one of the things that I think we do well in the church is that we also have an understanding that if you're going to come in to our church or into our group, that you also will bring stuff and you're going, you're going to change in some way the organization or the person. They will be better because I served. I saw some stuff and I did it. And I, we feel better about ourselves because we see that we think the place or the person is better because we were there. Does that make sense? So it's not just it's not just I'm I'm dedicated or committed to you, but it's also a sense that I'm going to have some impact. But also, if it's going to be equal, I have to believe that you have some impact on me. Is mutually changing, mutually transformational. Does that make sense? Okay. Now. Doesn't make sense for me. Yeah. Of course, but why? I'm looking, I'm looking at the me. Let's say I'm a, an addict. Yes. And I go to Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon or okay. whatever okay. like that. I'm not expecting Alcoholics Anonymous to change. I'm there so that I can change. What would be the impact, though, if you are there consistently and you are sharing your story? Well, and certainly there will be individuals there that who? are expecting themselves to change and they're not expecting me to change. And then I'm going to get a buddy and then we're going to help each other That's right. change. Right. Just like missionaries go out on a mission, most of them, they don't go out on the mission so they can become right. uh, sanctified. They go out on a mission so they can help other people find the gospel. And, and it might be after they get back from their mission figure out... <laughs> Wow, the best thing that happened on my mission was I became a man of God. It's true. It's God. true. See, in, in my case, it was actually the opposite. I went out. I was going to be a cool return missionary, and I kept picturing how I would look after two years coming back and being this awesome return missionary. So I was like, I'm working on myself, and I'm learning and stuff like that. It took me about four months before I went, oh, wait a minute. This ain't about me at all. But, so I guess for me, I'm thinking that the expectation... Sometimes you don't expect it and you get it, and other times you expect it and you don't get it. And so I think that I think that's very true, and, and yet that's why when we actually pull back and we walk and we think about at the end of the day, uh, we may not see it at first, but at the end of the day we'll look back and go, "Wow, it was better because I was there, and I'm different because I was there. I have made an impact in your life." But, but if we're going to walk into a place and say, I'm going to have an impact, I'm, I'm an act, activist. My job is to come and change you guys. I'm not going to be different, I'm fine. <laughs> but I want you to change and see it my way, and I'm not going to be any different. Then there's no mutual respect. That, absolutely. And so we're going to talk about that in a sec. Uh, but if it's going to be mutual, if it's equal, there's an equal effect on one another, and we're both different because we went through this process. Yeah. 
Well, I think of this when two wards combine to make a new ward. Oh, yeah. A new ward is formed from other wards. And if people just stay in their same groups and organizations, presidents just call the people that they know, yeah. then it doesn't have the same, you know, That's true. only when you mix and get to know other people and expand. Yeah, and, and that, that ends up being really practical. If you combine two wards, who gets the third row from the back on the side? We put our plaque on this. Yeah. No, that's ours. In our ward is that, or in the back and the front. Well, that's this family. Well, now the, another family has that same, you know. And we're having to figure out how do we negotiate. We're going to have to change here. We can't do that and be the same. And if, we're, if, there's gonna, if it's going to be healthy, there's going to be growth that comes as we're, as we're doing that. Now, if that's the case, then also if it's going to be mutually effective and changeable and it's going to create commitment and dedicate it and everything, I, I also have to recognize that it has to be collaborative and complementary. Yeah, Brent? I was just going to say, uh, I, I worked with a years ago and it was a business deal where we had some conflict. We, said, Look, we, said, we can't tell the other guys what to do. But we can create an environment which will encourage them to do the right thing. Yeah. And I think if that's going both ways, you've got a pretty good mutual relationship. Yeah. But, but part of that is also recognizing that you have skills and abilities I don't have. Mm -hmm. sure. and, and if I recognize, if it's, if, if it's going to be impactful, I have to trust that you know things I don't, and I'm going to rely on you, and that I bring things to the table that you don't have. And be, so because of that, we're going to be relying on each other. Uh, and that's why it has to be collaborative. And it, and it means I recognize my weaknesses and I, pulled, I, I joined the group or I got into a relationship because they have something I don't have. It's like when we, when we met, I had this cool red car. You did have a cool red car. That's why you married. <laughs> you had one other thing. Yes, and a blender. I hadn't yet graduated. She had graduated, and she was working, and she had a cool red car. And I think I was driving a 69 Impala that, that uh, with, you know, 150,000 miles on it, and it wasn't cool. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a cool red car, right? Okay. Um, but but those things, but again, in general, I think those things have to be uh, in place. Uh, and, and, and by the way, it also means that if I'm going to join a group, I need to, I recognize a group or a ward, let's say a ward. I, I join, I'm, I'm dedicated to a ward, but I also have to recognize that a ward has its weaknesses. If I'm going to try and find a church or a ward that has no weaknesses and matches all of my values and everybody in there has to match it exactly, then I'm going to be disappointed. You know, I, I'm reading a book about uh, this generation of being like the browsing generation. They're browse, 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 browse. And if I'm going to finally commit to something, it has to have tick every box of all my values exactly. I don't want to change. I want to join the thing that is a perfect fit for me and no, uh, with no weaknesses. Well, it's not even weaknesses. I, I think that's one of the dangers of the Internet is that we, Big time. we, we browse and we find... Everybody that agrees with us, 
and we're we then are putting on blinders and are not exposed to any other ideas. Well, not only that, if somebody shows up in that group that doesn't espouse one of everything, they might ex they they might appreciate ninety percent of the thing. But if they have two, what do we do? Block them. Yeah, you're not. You guys aren't welcome here. Out. Don't give them a like. No, there's no likes here. The groups are too focused now, so that doesn't happen much. Well, and you're in 28 different groups, and every one of those groups, everybody agrees with you because there's only one subject for the whole group. Yes, we're going to keep it really simple, and 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 Google knows this, right? The algorithms are there to feed you what? Only the stuff that you like with no dissenting ideas. But then you think that everybody in the world agrees with you when really there's nobody else in the world that's in the exact same 28 groups as you. It's true. It's true. Uh, and, and now the danger is AI girlfriends. An AI girlfriend backed up by an algorithm means that the that guys are going to find a girlfriend online and she will only ever say every single thing he wants and never disagree. She learns very quickly what to say exactly and and bring up topics and everything and won't leave out and will leave out all the negatives. Until I, she asks for money. <laughs> until she has, <laughs> And I'm stuck in Nigeria. I, no, it's, it's not. It's not those guys. I don't know if it's true or not, but I I read about where they had two AI bots that were into a con uh, a, a dispute on the internet, and they're uh, they're just trashing each other left and right. That would be and, funny. And the way they discovered it was, of course, because every time one posted something, the other one would respond within three seconds. You know. <laughs> <laughs> And the whole conversation took 30 seconds. Maybe an hour. <laughs> yeah, wow. Shut it down. Okay, so, so again, if we're going to be... So, so in this, this is, how, this is how healthy, growing relationships with a person, with a group, whatever it is. Now, if it's not this, then we also have other, other relationships where maybe it isn't exactly mutual, which means... Uh, like if you're going to be in some area where you, you have strengths and other people have weaknesses, that doesn't put you in an equal thing as much if you're going to be teaching somebody who doesn't know what you know. So then that puts, puts it in terms of being a parent to a child. Um, because then it, then it has moved and it, and it shifts like that. Okay? Uh, or if it's the other way around, if I if I don't know something, maybe I'm going maybe I'm going to a college class, and I'm not going to have a mutual experience with a college professor who's teaching me calculus. I'm in a student or child mode to a parent or to a teacher. Okay. Now there's a lot of times this kind of stuff is is healthy because this is where we're learning. It's just not equal. The problem comes, and without going into a lot of detail, this is what I do in my office all day long, <laughs> is that when I'm de dealing with uh, couples for whom this is, for whatever reason, something's missing. Either the dedication, they're not mutually impacting each other, or they're not collaborating. And the minute that they're not doing one of these things, 
it shifts. And one of the spouses will be the controlling one, and then the other one feels like a child and has to act out. <laughs> or it goes the other way, somebody then becomes less responsible, and they're forcing responsibility on the other one, and, then, and it's left this thing. And so we're trying to figure out how do we get it back. Or if you're a parent who is raising a 12-year-old, you're, you're raising kids, this worked when, you were, when they were five. How about at 16? You're motating towards they're going to one day be adults, so somehow you've got to come from this and it's got to begin to be more mutual and more collaborative. If you're sending them to their room at 5 and you're still sending them to their room at 17, <laughs> that ain't working. That somewhere in there that has to equal out. But does that make sense? I don't want to spend too much time on that. That's a parent-child thing at the 17-year-old. The parent is up in the top left corner thinking they're in charge and they're talking to somebody in the bottom right corner and the child isn't in the bottom right corner. Nope. Nope. They are already feeling independence. They, they've moved out of that grid. That's right. And the parent is still thinking that they're here. Uh, and still trying to use, and so that that's why if it's about rules and family rules and stuff like that, it's got to be we're committed, but we're going to impact each other, but we also have to collaborate on punishments and anyway. The, they, they both have the wrong idea about where the other one. It's is so true. It's so true. Okay, so got that. So if we do that in our head, okay. Now let me tell you where I think the the. Uh, application is in terms of what we're talking about today. So just kind of pin this conversation over here for a sec. Okay, so now I think it's interesting that um, if you like I said, I've been I'm looking through some things on the early church uh, in the first couple of centuries of Christianity and we look back at Christ's mission and what Jesus did and everything and we are kind of in an awe as we were watching The Chosen on Saturday night in a theater and it was just like, wow, this is very cool. And, and when we think about the coolest, the most amazing thing that Jesus did and is, is His death and resurrection and what He's done for us in the eternities. Okay? If you go to the early Christian church, they recognize that His death and resurrection was was amazing, but look at what they almost equally in their eyes was the most amazing things that Jesus did. Matthew, behold, uh, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God, Jehovah, right? And, the, and Jehovah became flesh and lived among us in a body, <laughs> and we saw His glory. <sighs> now, if, you, if you're Roman or Greek... You know, and you know that the gods, you know that the, you know, they were, uh, Artemis was born on Delos, and we so we know what island she's born on, and she's kind of living about, but she's a god, but she's sort of here, but she's got like, she's like Spider-Man living among us, they got superpowers, and okay. 
But if you're Jewish, where is your God? On Mount Sinai, right? If I'm thinking about Jehovah, I'm going fire and on on Sinai. And he and John and Matthew are going, and that God did what? Took on flesh and lived among us. Got got colds during the winter, you know, and got dirty playing in the mud and 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 skinned his knee and it had to heal and and got sweaty and didn't smell very good until he took a bath. How big a jump is this in their mind? How amazing is this that our God is with us as one of us and lived among us in a body? It's almost beyond imagination that this would... And and then and then beyond that, as Paul is trying to then explain, and he died, and how did he die? Like a slave, hung on a tree, executed by the Romans, and bled and died, without getting off, without attacking it, without raising an army. The Lord of Hosts gain power over death by dying like a slave. You know, the, the incongruity of that is just off the charts. Kevin? Yeah. You talk about the Jewish God being on Sinai, and I'm kind of wondering, from the time that the Israelites left uh, Egypt, mm-hmm. until they had established themselves after clearing the promised land. Yeah. How much of that time did they have the cloud and the pillar? After Sinai? That's a really good question. I don't know. Did they, I don't think there was a I mean, cloud and the pillar d- during the 40 for, years, right? Did they have it for 40 years? Or I don't no? think they did, did they? They did have the light on the temple. Yeah. Remember that? They, that's right. The Shinha came to the, to the tabernacle in the wilderness, so they had that. And I don't know, but I don't think it stayed there constantly. I think it was just there when it was first dedicated. Yeah. So so that's not like, that wouldn't have been something that would become deeply ingrained in them as this is our God. Yeah. All they know is that when we talk about Jehovah, where is he? He's up on Sinai. He's somewhere. He's bigger. He's up there. He's, okay. Did they just think, well, they probably didn't. They didn't really have a concept of the Godhead, per se. No, no, it's just Jehovah's. And certainly by the time we get to, especially the first century, where there had been some understanding of God, uh, Father God, El, and Jehovah, His Son, by the time we got to this discussion for another time, but by the time they got to the first century, it had distilled itself after Josiah's reign down to... No, it's one God, and it's Jehovah, and he's up there somewhere. He can land on Sinai. He can bring his glory down on the tabernacle, the meeting place, they call it. Okay, But what, by the time we get to this point, he's up there. He's too big. He's, he's the, the Lord of hosts. Uh, but after this experience then, and recognizing that this God had come among us and died and was resurrected and was caught up, then in that first century, 
What are they thinking? Well, remember, we talked about this last time. As far as the early fathers, especially the Cappadocian fathers, the most influential theologians, they distilled all of that thinking into, you know, it's like, and this is Athanasius, you know how it is when some great king enters a, a large city and dwells in one of its houses. Because of his dwelling in that single house, the whole city is honored and the enemies and robbers ceased to, to molest it. Even so it is with the king of all. He has come into our country and dwelt in one body amidst the many. And in consequence, the designs of the enemy against mankind have been foiled. And the corruption and death which formerly had the held them in power had simply ceased to be. For the human race would have perished utterly had not the Lord and Savior of all, the Son of God, come among us and put an end to death. Okay. By the way, Athanasius was the voice that was voted down at the Council of Nicaea <laughs> in favor of, of some more prominent ideas trying to incorporate the Trinity idea. But Athanasius was the was the he was the one that didn't get voted in. To. Is that he's, he's the author of this? Uh huh. Was I mean we don't have any indication that he was ever like an apostle. Or no, he just these early Cappadocian fathers uh, and they they just were theologians writing. I think he was in Antioch. Um, so this is this is if you get this sense, this is how they're picturing Jesus. And and you and. And, and this was, and this is why sometimes, like a thousand years later, the the uh, the Gnostics were the these guys that were like, oh, we can't buy this one. This is if Jesus was here, he had to like not be here. He was like, he was like a hologram. <laughs> he was just not real. He was uh, he was flesh, but not he wasn't flesh. He was just kind of he was an idea. He was an idea that walked among them, but he wasn't really here because this great God up there wouldn't come and do this that that destroys what our the, the thinking was but for these early fathers uh, so much and this ought to resonate with us as latter-day saints remember the Cappadocian fathers are going no listen God craves relationships so how did these guys even get to I mean we start out with the 12 apostles uh -huh. And we have records of one or two of them being replaced. Right. But not a dozen of them. No. And then after 60 years, all of them are dead that are going to die. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and then how did, how did the, uh, uh, you know, people who are really just uh, scholars come to be in charge of the church? Yeah, that, see, that, that's, that's a good question, yeah. Part of the answer to that is the Cappadocian Fathers, they were, they studied and learned just like we do from people yeah. that came before. And the people that they were learning and talking to and studying were people who were raised up in that original church, mm -hmm. you know, in Israel and throughout that area. And so not everyone became bishops and prophets and all of that, but there are a lot of people like us who are studying and are thinking, learning. Want to know 
people are getting together and comparing notes and concluding some big things. Yeah, but but on top of that though, but still in in Antioch, in uh, uh, Ephesus, everybody's got a bishop. They had organ. Paul had been very good about organizing bishops. And so you started to have some church structure. It's just that there wasn't an overall structure. They're just bishops. And when they would find, when they started, then under Constantine, Constantine is going to do a very Roman thing, which is let, I'm going to, I'm now the emperor. I've now taken on Christianity, but now I'm going to reach out to all the bishops. We're going to pull them in like a big political um, party um, and try and standardize scripture beliefs, all those kind of things, but they were pulling in bishops from all over the place to, in, in order to do that. Uh, but, but, it, but it's funny, these Cappadocian fathers were never one of those bishops. They were just influential scholars and writers that were influencing, but, but the guy in Antioch might have a much different than the guy in Corinth. It would have been real interesting had, uh, had somebody pulled all of this stuff together 30 or 40 years after Christ died when all of the authoritative sources still existed. Yeah. Well, see, Jerome, like Jerome, who was the was in, um, I think it was in Caesarea, uh, Maritima. But Jerome said he was baptized by Peter. Uh, and so you had some of those that... It's like it's like the, the closer you got to the fathers, those would be. In. Well, it's already it's like uh, Lutherans and whatever. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Unitarian. And... We're looking at it this way. We're looking at it this way. That's why I say Constantine was going to be like. No, I'm going to set up the correlation committee, <laughs> right. so so that everybody is teaching the same thing all the way across the empire. Christianity to actually know what they were, and, and and be standard. We're going to standardize things. Yeah. Well, I can only imagine that it is was not unlike it is in our wards and states uh -huh. that there's. Uh, for lack of a better term, there's political hierarchy. I mean, there's the Kevin Hinckley's that are really good gospel doctrine teachers, and without the overall governance of the apostles and the and the handbook and the handbook, the people, yeah, uh, and, there, and there wasn't any uniform uh, organizations of stakes or anything. No. People then started to elevate and play politics. Well, sure, because for, remember one thing they didn't have also until uh, till they finally get the the Vulgate established and everything. They didn't have scriptures. Right. So so now if I'm if I'm in an area of uh, Greece where I'm still heavily influenced by mythology and Zeus and Artemis, my Christianity. I, I need a female deity like Artemis. Oh, wait a minute. We got Mary. Well, it's kind of give her some of those kind of attributes. Yeah. yeah. We can see in all different parts of our life that um, where um, power doesn't exist, that humans are going to structure things in a way. Oh, it's true. <laughs> Like that's you know our church that was their church you know that there was this like chasm of um, available power to structure yes. to create 
They did. And one of the pervading things that was just, who was Christ? Where is Christ? Where is God? What does he look like? Well, no, he's like Zeus. Well, no, he's not like Zeus. He's, you know, you know. well, yeah, he, he sort of is. Okay, so, so they're battling. That, that's why you just have to think of the Council of Nicaea. It was a political convention, man. It was the states are voting and we're, and we're sinking people. We're blocking some ships from getting, the Athanasian crowd was kind of kept from getting into the harbor. Dan Peterson has talked a lot about how some of those guys were blocked or even killed or something because we don't want those ideas brought and then we're going to vote on it. And, you know, but Constantine knows what he wants and then we've got to get the Vulgate. Anyway, it has to be standardized. But what gets left in that whole thing uh, under Augustine is the fact that God wants relationships and by the time we get to Constantine, Constantine is like, no, he really is like Zeus. I, I listen to Plato. He says, I, I love Plato. God is like, so far out there. He, we, he is unattainable. He is unlike us. Really unlike. Like, now, I, I, the Jesus side of him, yeah, spent some time on earth. But now, mortals are human with original sin, and they're a mess, and God doesn't want to have it. And get, God is jealous and angry and capricious, and he's going to send some people to hell. Uh, and other people, he is, de- even children, you know, a lot of children they're going to be born and never have a chance at hell because God is that he, he just picks and chooses that was Constantine okay but these early fathers said no remember God craves relationships he created mankind and this earth as a divine nursery so that he could have a peer relationship now think back to the relationship thing we were just talking about God wants a relationship with us and it's based on it's going to be based on commitment and it's going to be based on the impact that it has mutually we'll talk about that and it's got to be based on uh, collaboration that we're expected to do things and he does things for okay I think all of those things are in play when we talk about our relationship with Jesus so trust and respect are earned and in, in our relationship with God from the point that we can recognize the start of it here on earth yeah we're not trustworthy <laughs> no and we're not respectable but you know what and, your, your two year old wasn't and, worth and, it either, but, but you loved them and God has us down here so that because he wants us to be in a trustworthy relationship and he wants yeah. us to be in a mutually respecting you know, he, he doesn't yearn just for us to respect him. That's right. He yearns for us to be good enough that he can respect us. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. I, guess, I think that's right on. And so what is he going to do to make sure that we get there? He gives us commandments. And he gives us covenants. And he gives us all these things where we slowly over time, we're not just ticking boxes, but we're also being changed and altered and transformed by those things that, to get us there. Okay, so uh, if that if that's the case, then uh, so we come back here and we go. Okay, technically, then our if we're seeing this for what it is, then what we're striving for is a relationship with the Savior, with all of the pieces that go with relationships. So so let that sit. 
for just a sec. Let that, you know, that that's a big that's a big ask. But that's the objective. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, not, that's not the model of what we are today. Oh man, <laughs> we're we're because we are, in, in, again, in the same way. It's like I want my kids to get here, but they're a four-year-old that just won't mind, you know. And they just I love them, I care about them. I'm going to keep putting things in their place so they can learn and grow but I also I love them I care about them but they need to learn and my love means there's going to be sometimes some some discipline or there's some structure or something to get you there yeah that's why that's why I love the idea that we've talked about before where we talk about uh, that we were sent on earth to be proven if you think proven like tested like we can fail I think we miss it but if we think of proven like grown and expanded, refined, edu- refined <laughs> then suddenly proven makes plenty of sense. Mm-hmm. We are growing into somebody c- that, can, that can be in, an, in a relationship with him. Okay? Wheels turning? Well, I was, I was thinking, we can, in a developed country, it's easy to say that. Yes. In a third right. world country. Oh man. It's a little harder to Why? Well, because they don't have the opportunities. Uh, I mean I I could relate a number of instances from Africa that I Yeah. I, I you know what? I was thinking the same thing when we were walking through um, in June we, we got on a boat on the Amazon and we went downstream and we came to a little town called Indiana uh, and they called Indiana because there had been some priests from Indiana that had come and set up a school there and they just call it Indiana uh, and we walked through the marketplace uh, and, and like the meat market and all the meat and everything just hanging out there and you know and you just look at the and, and then we got on the little three wheel motorcycle things to get down to the, the river and, and I just think their level of understanding and growth is so far distant from and, and yet a God of mercy has set it up so that this may be their experience here but if you look into the eternities but that, that's why if I get locked in the idea of saying and if you don't accept Jesus in this life <laughs> then you're going to hell you know and, and when, I, when I sometimes confront my evangelical friends on something like this. It's like, well, that's kind of a mystery <laughs> as to why it is that they would go to hell even though they grew up in Iquitos, Peru, and they were never even introduced to any of this. Okay? Well, the, the, Alma says almost the same thing. Alma does say that. <laughs> and, he's, and, and, and then condemning the Lamanite soldier that is fighting them that never, never knew, was never taught. And, and again, you see the limitations of what they knew and, and we're grateful for the increased knowledge we have now. Yeah, Wendy? That's why I love the church's humanitarian <clears throat> program and all the humanitarian programs throughout the world. Um, you know, the children, they need food. They're hungry. They need clothing. They need warmth or to cool off if they're too hot. Um, you know, so they need basic things and they don't have energy or the know-how to sometimes understand God or to reach out to him because they're struggling so much. So I just love 
that we do that as well, that that is our service and, and helping people come to Christ and feeling that love from us or whoever it is. Yeah, I'll forget it. All of us do have the spirit of Christ too, no matter where you are, mm-hmm. what time or anything. And the spirit of Christ, after all of a sudden, done us the ability to say, this is better than that. I can take two things that I can compare. Yes. Through our experiences, all of us have what I would lump into the category of empathetic experiences. We know we don't like to get slapped, and so we can, <laughs> through the spirit of Christ, say, I don't like it either, so let's not slap each other. And I do think that as we get those experiences, we do get a sense, not a perfect sense, but we get enough sense so that when we do, if, if that's all we're not to or whatever we get, when we do cross over to the other side of the veil, uh, I think that all of those things will resonate with us because we've experienced it. Well, and that's why I'm thinking, even like in Africa or the little market in Iquitos, Peru, some people have kind of progressed a little bit more than that. Some are kinder than mm-hmm. others. And, and, and so there is, there is a, a process going on, but that, that, that's why I, in some ways I always picture someone like Mother Teresa getting to the other side of the veil and going, oh, yeah. <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, she's not. like ninety percent there. Okay, we got some ordinances ready. How long will this take? About thirty minutes. Okay. <laughs> but she had already grown and developed and stuff in in some certain ways, even though she'd never read the Book of Mormon in in this life. Uh, I just think our individual growth depends on the person and how much light, for whatever reason, that that they have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I think I like to keep in mind, too, is just like we learn and grow, like you're saying, through love and consideration and help, you know, to to each other. But that I think that our ancestors and those that have passed before us have that same interest in us. And that when we pass, I think they're just as willing to work with us Oh yeah. And help us and love us just like the people here. It's not that much different. It's just a different group of people willing to work in love and help. Yeah, it, which is even more challenging. I, I think about Joseph F. Smith speaking in, in general conference. There's a great talk called uh, In the Presence of the Divine. He gave it in 1916. And a couple of years, about a year and a half before he died. And, and in it he says, those on the other side are aware, more aware of us than we know. They love. They have a greater capacity to love, and they just and they and the, we will find out ultimately they were more involved in our lives. But at the same time, he he you know, and he's saying in his position, he's saying, I believe I live every day in the presence of Joseph and Brigham and uh, John and Wilford, <laughs> you know. And here I am, and they're watching me, and at, and at times they, they've got to be going, oh man. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we taught her better than that. Yeah. I, just, I find it uh, really interesting how, my, how much we think we understand, and then we think we miss. I, I don't know how many people, probably have more than half the people in this room would tell you that they don't think they'll be able to be perfect in a million years, okay? And and then the same people will tell me that their uncle who died 
six days ago is now leading missionary efforts on the other side. <laughs> and, and there seems to be a total disconnect between us yeah. recognizing, yeah. number one, how quickly and how much we can grow yeah. between the time we die and the time we're resurrected. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, how people think that you're just going to die and you're going to get... You go right into, you walk right into glory. Go into your mission call. And like, yeah. me, I don't know whether it will take 10 minutes or whether it will take a thousand years. But I know that there's going to be some training that I go through after I die. With some really before, good teachers. Before I get the responsibility. Yeah, that I'm absolutely. And, and I get to be taught with my physical body, with all of its genetic flaws and, and stuff like that placed in the grave. Yeah, I just think it's a millennia afterward. We're just learning and growing. And I think if we get to a certain point, yeah, then okay, we'll go lead some missionary effort. But I've got... I've got two aunts whose husbands have died, and I ask them both, where do you think he is right now? And this is just shortly after he died. Oh, oh he's doing missionary work. He's in the arms of Jesus, yeah. You know? <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe soon. He's, he's got some stuff to work on. <laughs> yeah. I, I think so. Okay, so so now let, let, let's, let's pull all this stuff. Third Nephi 17. We've been talking about this. Uh, and I want you to see how the relationship comes together. Because again, this is this are Law of Moses people. And these are people that believe, they had just, a year earlier, what had they seen Jehovah do? Wipe out cities, you know, and, and, and all those kinds. So that's, that's tough. And, and, and so he, he talks to them, and remember, he going, you know, and they give him the, the puppy dog eyes, um, in five, uh, cast his eyes round about. They look steadfastly. They want him to tarry. Don't go. Don't go. Stay. Stay. You know, and he goes, it has an effect on him. I want you to see how this comes together. My bowels are filled with compassion. Okay, now I'm going to have any sick among you. He's going to heal them. Uh, I know that you're wanting to, you've, maybe heard or you know maybe I'm teaching that I did some healing he in nine he's gonna he's gonna take all their sick and afflicted they're lame uh, he heals them as they're brought forth now all those they that did both they that have been healed uh, did worship at his feet one of the best things I think about the chosen series is watching the reactions when he heals people Joy on his foot, laughing sometimes, the excitement. I mean, it's just joyous. It's not just like, thank you, I was blind, now I see, thank you so much. I mean, it's like, no, we're going we're gonna to get super excited here, and we're jumping up and down, and it's just, it's glorious. Okay? Um, they, so they come, and they, they bow down at his feet, and they did worship him. Um, by the way, anywhere else in the Book of Mormon we talk about people bowing down? The tree of life. Yeah. We follow the iron rod. We get there. We fall down. Okay. They did kiss his feet. Uh, and then he does something interesting. So now he healed them. But now look what he does next. It comes to pass that he commanded their little children should be brought. And they, and they uh, set them down on the ground round about. Jesus stood in the midst. 
and the multitude gives way till all have been brought. So now we've got Jesus in the middle. We've got the kids surrounding him. And you've got the multitude on the outside of that. Okay? All right. So hold on here. I think I can... So we've got Jesus is in the middle. You got the children here, and you got the people who've been cleansed out there. Okay, now if I if the if I go to uh, the temple of Herod temple of Solomon what's the structure of that thing there you are okay it's a it's a tripart temple you have the you have the holy of holies here you've got the you got the sacred space here with the showbread and the altar of incense and and uh, the manna thing here and stuff like that and then outside, in the outer court out here is when we have uh, the, uh, the, the, altar, the altar for burning. We got the, the molten sea for cleansing, all that, okay? But, and then you've got, you've got the massive uh, pillars right there. And then on the veil right here, right in front of the altar, on the veil, you have uh, cherubim. Okay, because the whole the whole concept of of the these law of Moses temples was what? Where are we going? Yes, and the holy of holies was really for them. It's the Garden of Eden. Okay, we're going to pass the angels that stand as sentinels. Uh, and so in here is where this is where the tree of life is but we got to come through the garden so this is Eden out here here's the holiest place in the garden of Eden here's the outside over here okay so what we're trying to do we got kicked out of Eden now we're trying to come back into Eden that's what the law of Moses temples were designed to do but it was still built on a tripart idea okay of, a, of here and then, so sacred of sacreds, sacred, cleansed. Okay? Look at what Jesus is doing in, in 3 Nephi 17. He puts himself here. Who's he put out here? The children. Okay? Become like little children, right? Sacred. Yes, yeah, sacred. And the people who've been cleansed, outer court. Okay? What did he do? He created a temple. In the midst of all of this, Jesus creates a symbolic temple with himself. And one of the things that the new, that, that uh, the endowment in our temple has become better at is what? <clears throat> Ascribing everything to the Savior. This is, and defining where the Savior is and what role the Savior plays and then saying it out loud. It was always kind of there. It was symbolic, just never said. 
the the newer iteration of the endowment says, no, let's say what let's tell you what this is. It's all about the Savior. That's what we're doing. <coughs> we're trying to enter back into this. But you guys can't even see that over there, can you? Okay, it's not very bright. I didn't realize that. Um, but I think that I think that's what he's creating. Okay. Um, so they've been brought. Jesus stands in the midst. Uh, now, fourteen. It comes to pass they knelt down on the ground. Jesus groans. I'm troubled because of the wickedness of the house of Israel. So he's aware of, of their struggles. And then it says that he knelt on the earth, Fort 15, and he prayed unto the Father, and the things which he prayed cannot be... Oh, thank you. Things which he uh, prayed cannot be written. And sometimes people have tried to say, well, that's because he was like speaking in the endowment. I think that's a real stretch. But at the very least, it's just so marvelous that we can't write that. The multitude did bear record that they were there, that they heard him. And after this manner, what did they bear record of? The eye hath never seen, neither has the ear heard. So great and marvelous as we heard Jesus speak to the Father. No tongue can speak. I mean, he, he managed to, they wrote it down. And Mormon was able to toss it into his, his record here. Okay? And no one can conceive of the joy that filled our souls, our souls, first person, right? Filled our souls at the time we heard him pray for us unto the Father. Now, when it came to pass that Jesus had made an end of praying unto the Father, he arose. But so great was the multitude that they were overcome. They were so impacted by this. Now, this is the one that, this is what jumps out at me. When it came to pass that Jesus spake unto them and bade them arise. They arose from the earth and he said unto them, Blessed are ye because of your faith. And then then the, the rejoinder is what? My joy is full. Remember how a relationship is mutually beneficial. And it's mutually, it, it changes both parties if it is if it's mutually beneficial. I think by going through this experience, something has shifted now. He had done things for them. I'll come back and teach you some more. They had, they had committed to him. Their love was there. Their, the, the healing was there. And at this moment, now look at what's happening. Blessed are ye because of your faith. And now behold, he could have said, and now behold, your joy is full. It's not what he's saying. What does he mean by that? My joy is full. What's your What's your sense of that moment? He says, "Behold, this is my work and my glory. Glory is just another word for joy." Yeah. Well, and I think he could have said, uh, "Adam fell that men might be, and men are that your you will have joy." But look at what he's also saying. And men are that I will also have joy. What impact do we have on him? If, if, if we're in a relationship with Jesus, what impact do we have on him? Well, this was his goal, I think. He, these people had progressed they had. to the point that they were no longer 
wanted to be wicked and so forth again, I think. Something had changed. Had, had changed. They had been healed. Right. Healed physically. It's always interesting to me that Jesus first heals physically abnormalities, but then he goes, okay, and <laughs> you're, now you're, you're clean. I'm, I'm going to go one step farther. Right? You want the impact that we or others have on the Savior. Go back to verse 14. Jesus groaned in himself and said, Father, I am troubled because of the wicked people. Yeah. And then you go a few verses. As he prayed at the end of the prayer, he makes that comment, and behold, my joy is full. My joy is full. And I, I've, gotten, I've gone through that. He's gone the full spectrum in just one short prayer. But he's, he's dealing with two different groups of people. He's talking about how he's troubled because of the people back where, yeah. where he was killed. Yeah. And then he's changed his attention to this group. Of and he looks at this group looking at him that doesn't want him to leave. So in the one case, he, he's troubled enough to where he might have wept. And in this case, he's joyful enough that he weeps tears of joy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. In other words, whether it's wickedness or whether it is righteousness, we affect him. That's 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 what makes that a relationship. I think if and and that's what was lost with Augustine, and later it will be lost by Calvin and Luther. The more that they elevate him, the the um, the Westminster Confession that formed the the creed uh, that led not just the Methodists but Church of England, everybody. The Westminster Confession says uh, says that God is without body parts or passions. passions. He has no passion. Why did he ever even <laughs> Right? Right? But it's, it's, it's elevating him so high with, and, and denigrating us if, if it's a God without passions. And, and if he's impassionable, he can't be impacted by us and what we do. And what, what, what Joseph brought with the Book of Mormon was this is a God that is impacted. Moses 7 gives us Jesus that weeps in the pre-mortal life before he's actually come to earth. In the Book of Mormon, or in the, the New Testament, we're getting a Jesus that weeps like just before he, he, he brings La, uh, Lazarus. The Book of Mormon is giving us a post-mortal Jesus who weeps. He is weeping at all stages because of his love for us. We impact him. It's a relationship. It really is a relationship. Isn't that cool? I think we experience a degree of that in our own families. I mean, we feel the heartache, and when our kids do really well, uh, you know, when your kids uh, performing at the elementary school, the joy that you feel when he's successful. And yeah, I, ta- I talked to a, uh, a very emotional uh, woman last night who, who called, and, and she'd just been called as Relief Society president. And she and she's at and wondering as she's kind of feeling her the calling to send on her shoulders and and she's like, what what do my sisters need? And I I started asking. It's like I've got sisters whose kids have left and and they're struggling with their own testimonies and just all these. What do they need? And she's just starting to. It's just landing on her. You know, bless her heart. What do we do? How do we handle this? What needs to happen? And. And we're talking about how it's time to maybe huddle up with the bishop and decide what kind of 
topics you want to go after. Um, and, and it's interesting, then we got into some, uh, there were a lot of them struggling with LGBT stuff and she's like, she's emotional, I'm emotional. It's like the battle that's going on about what happens here and how do they negotiate a way forward is, is just incredibly hard. Uh, but I think part of the, part of the uh, reality of serving like Jesus is that we will weep like Jesus. And part of his love for us is that he will weep for us. I just wanted to make a comment on those that struggle with like self-worth and depression yeah. and things like that. Uh, we do affect Jesus, but he also recognizes where we're at in our progression. So he meets us at that level. Where, where, where we are. Where we're at. Yeah. So it... So, you know, because there's been times where I've thought that, oh my gosh, I'm making this worse for Jesus because, like, I, I'm just terrible and I made this worse for him. And uh, But he understands where we're at perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the, the one little spoiler I'll give away on the chosen thing is that uh, John is killed. John, John is beheaded. And Jesus sits Shiva. <laughs> he, he mourns. He's impacted by what has occurred. He doesn't just go, well, he's going to have great glory in the next thing. Let's go on to the next town. He's literally physically impacted by the death of his cousin. And that just it's just tearing him up. Okay. But is he, I mean, we don't. <laughs> Maybe he's more impacted by the wickedness of the people who killed him. We don't, we don't number one, I recognize that The Chosen is a very sanctifying thing to watch, but I also recognize there's a lot of oh. untruth and false oh. doctrine in it. Oh no, it's it's, it's not biblical. So it's it's a, it's art. But, but but it's but it's, it's art. It's, it's very art. it's very human, and 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 Jesus is being portrayed as somebody who could very easily but do that. Like if Lazarus, if we're looking at it for his, historicity, we're gonna miss it. Like Lazarus, when Lazarus dies, and and Jesus goes, and he's mourning. Mm -hmm. He's not mourning because Lazarus died. He's mourning because Lazarus's loved ones oh. are, are heartbroken. That might be true and it might not be true, Jim. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're guessing. Well, you, you, like me, are reading into what, what I, we're... I have full confidence he's not mourning because <laughs> Lazarus died. I think you're, you're guessing. I think you're guessing. Well, and, and you might be right, but, I, but you're still guessing. Yeah. We know that he's um, had to go through everything in order to atone for right. himself right. so that he would know what we go through. So it's yeah. sense that he had experiences with loving people and losing people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So that's why I think we get this very, well, I think it's kind of a, a heavenly human <laughs> combination of him mourning and but also feeling joy because of the, the actions of others. Yeah. The last comment I thought was very good was the Savior. I think he probably had to have some very intense experience of death for you and the strength he would need to go through the atonement and the crucifixion. Yeah. Yeah, and feeling the weight of people that he loved and feeling things he didn't want to feel. Absolutely. Because now look at this. He goes, uh, and now my joy is full. And when he said these, he wept, right? 
and they bear record of it. And then he blesses the kids again. And when he does it, he weeps. He weeps again. You know, it's just like, okay, behold your little ones. Okay, now the angels are going to come and sanctify this whole thing. Okay, angels did minister. And the multitude did see and bear record. Uh, and, and they're saying, yeah, they're, we're going to... How many witnesses do we have of Jesus weeping and blessing the kids and all that? We're going to keep track of it. We did, a, we did a head count. Send the ward clerk out to <laughs> run out and count heads, right? There were number two, 2,500 souls, and they did consist of men, women, and children, who then, and, and I love this part, so, so, what, so what happens next? They, they're sanctified. Now, now what does he do with us? If, we, if, we, if the Holy Ghost has spoken to us and we've entered into this relationship, what happens? He does the sacrament. He does the sacrament. Why? So we remember. Yeah. Well, think about that one. Think about that one. Okay, because now he's going to... Um, in 18... That's got to be like the, the great sacrament meeting of all time. <laughs> right? Then he commands that they should bring forth bread and wine. And while they're gone, he commands them to sit down. And then they bring the bread and wine. And when they're eaten, and then he, he gives them the sacrament. And, and, and he starts to organize. And then he says unto them, be baptized. So this has all happened before most of them were baptized. Now, I, I'm imagining that if a lot of them a year later had come back to the temple probably were believers but don't know but now they're going to be rebaptized I think probably with this new covenant and you can do it with the sacrament so in other words he goes from we have a relationship to now let's start setting up covenants baptism sacrament to remind you and get you to and kind of move the ball where it needs to go does that make sense he knows he's not going to be there I'm leaving and I'm now I'm going to organize it with these guys uh and, and in fact, I, I won't go into it, but then the next chapter goes, so, so, so now with this covenant, they've, they've entered into covenant, they want to do what Jesus is doing and everything. They get done, he sends them home. What do they do? They now spend all night <laughs> going and, and to outlying towns. How come you weren't at Passover? Well, we had things to do and we're busy... Jesus came and he, and he healed the kids and we saw this and we saw it. Really? Yeah. You missed out on state conference, dude. <laughs> Stuff's happening. Okay. Yeah, so they're going to drag everybody in the outlying towns to get them in there and then and now we're going to see the apostles kick in and start doing the sacrament and stuff like that. Okay. But anyway, I just think this is, this is such great stuff. So when they said there was... 2000, about 2,500 of them, men, women, and children. I, I think the reason they said that it was men, women, and children was because normally, in almost every other count they do, they're only counting men of fighting age. Yeah, that's true. So 2,500 men, women, and children would equate to, uh, oh, there was about 700. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and not only that, and it, this was also happening for women, and it was also happening for children as, as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, isn't that cool? So, anyway, they're, they're still thinking Law, law of Moses-ish. So, all right. Is that a good place to kind of roll to a stop? Yeah. One comment. I think it's interesting that at the beginning of 18, he differentiates between the multitude and his disciples. Mm -hmm. so are his disciples that are already members of the church versus the Oh, that's a good question. Rather than just the 12 that he has called. Right. Could be. That's a good point because we knew... You would kind of think... Think about uh, how did we do religiously after 9-11? Well, we, it, it became uh, polarized. It did. A lot of people became stronger, and a lot of people just yeah. fell away. Makes you wonder what was happening in Zara. Well, not Zara Hamlet. <laughs> it's gone. Uh, makes you wonder what happened across the land in that year between the destruction and this event. Did they become th those that maybe were, were polarized towards? There may have. I would guess there would have been kind of a revival uh, in some quarters. But obviously, not everybody's coming, so there's still people in the outlying towns that aren't doing anything about it. So, okay, all right. Well, wait a minute. After 9/11, people were showing up in churches everywhere. Church attendance went way up. There was well, there was a day of I think Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember. I remember. Yeah. There was a there was a special event set apart, and, people, and it was it was. It's pretty sobering, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes after trauma does seem to make us stop and take a look. Where are we? What's going on? So, all right, um, yeah. Let, let's uh, let's finish here. Um, I guess I guess more than anything, uh, I hope that we can. One of the things we can take from this is, I I, I really. I, I just love like crazy the, the idea of the Cappadocian fathers that God craves relationships, that Jesus craves a relationship with us. Uh, but that means a relationship that is mutually, um, that is mutual. Obviously, we can't love him nearly as much as he loves us. We can't do as much for him now uh, as he's do doing for us. But again, like we talked about, we're in our infancy. We're not. We're still pretty young and pretty flawed. Uh, but he's working with us in this divine nursery to get us to that stage, and loves us enough to give us commandments, and loves us enough to give us covenants, and loves us enough to teach, give us the scriptures, and all these kind of things to move the ball, and then gives us an eternity on the other side of the veil to keep growing and keep learning. Uh, with inspired teachers, uh, I look forward to the firesides. I think with Moroni and stuff like that, I think it'd be kind of cool. But I just think our individual growth continues after this life. King Benjamin was it said that no matter if we did everything we could in this life, we would be an unprofitable. Uh, uh, yeah, no matter when. And, and a lot of us have this perception that we're always going to be a, a cost center. You know, a deficit for the for God. Tra transactional. And we yeah. can't we can't justify our our uh, ascension to the celestial kingdom. Yeah. That that's only true until you get there. Everybody, <laughs> yes. everybody yes. who's exalted is a profit center. They all do. They all justify 
their being there. But yeah. they do that after they get there. Yeah, that's true. That, that's why that's why I posted online um, my one last thing on the chosen. Uh, I posted online the one line that came out of the, the this uh, this thing was uh, Matthew is asked uh, about his life, and they've got Matthew as kind of on the spectrum kind of thing. So he says, uh, "How you doing? Good." How's your life? He says, my life is really simple. Why? Because I just get up every morning. I only have one thing to do. Follow him. You see, and everything else takes care of itself. And, and that's kind of my, my new mantra. You know, I get up in the morning. I only have really one thing to do. Follow him. And if I'm going to follow him, then everything else becomes much simpler. So that's my, uh, that's my prayer, I guess, that we can spend this week and just say if I'm in a relationship with this Jesus then I just need to follow him and then every other decision I make is is obviously much simpler if I do that so and I and I leave that with you in Jesus name amen uh, can you get a closing prayer somebody feel moved moved or moot <laughs> okay yeah And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.